Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello, I'm David Temple and welcome to The Thriller Zone. On today's show, I'm happy to welcome William Boyle, author of Shoot the Moonlight Out, a book I thoroughly enjoyed. Now, in the spirit of transparency, I'll admit Bill and I ran into a bit of technical issues during this chat, but because of our mutually tight schedules, both of which had little breathing room because of his upcoming book launch, I wasn't able to reschedule in time, so I decided to just barrel ahead. Both of us did. Now, that said, despite the glitches, we had a great time. I hope you'll enjoy. Oh, and the best news, Bill has promised to visit us again very soon and with better Wi-Fi. Okay, all that aside, let's you and I get in the Thriller Zone. We have a little um, delay in okay. your in your signal. Are you, how, how is your bandwidth? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's okay i mean i live in you know i kind of live in rural mississippi so um i don't usually have any issues that i that i know of uh, but i don't know any technical specs or anything by the yeah. way your photo you look totally different than that photograph I, I just found that black and white on maybe your website and then i see with the uh, ball ca- cap in your beard i'm like wow he, he looks totally different <laughs> yeah i can uh, you know, I can have a few different disguises? Yeah, does that come in handy? Yeah, yeah. No, it's just you know, it's whether I'm I shave or not really. It's, it depends on if I'm running from the law, David. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, first of all, William Boyle, thank you for being on the podcast. It is a delight to have you on the show. Thanks for yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. We're going to talk about Shoot the Moonlight Out very soon, uh, very shortly. I've got many, many, many things to say. But first, I want to I, uh, I want to kick off the show with, I'm always curious where people have chosen to live. And for a guy who writes so eloquently about Brooklyn and having grown up in Brooklyn, and now you live in Oxford, which I had to actually do a Google search and learn that Oxford is a tiny little town just southeast of memphis tennessee what what took you from brooklyn to oxford um i'll try to try to tell short not convoluted version um i went to i went to college in upstate new york um in the hudson valley so i spent some time outside the city then and you know i don't know i just started uh in college, I really started discovering a lot of music and books um, that made me want to go other places, I guess, you know, it's a simple, it's a simple version. So I, and, you know, sometime, sometime around age 19 or 20, I started listening to Mississippi um, Hill Country Blues, like R.L. Burnside and Junior Kimbrough and T-Model Ford and guys like that. Yeah. So that was kind of one of the first first reasons that Oxford was on the map for me. Of course, I knew I already knew at that point I knew William Faulkner's stuff. But then once I read, by the time I was about twenty two or twenty three, I discovered the writer Larry Brown, 
um, and he became just my favorite writer. And he wrote, was from Oxford and wrote about the area. Um, so that was another reason I wanted to get down here. And um, so eventually I got down here and I just haven't left. Um, I've stuck around. Um, I'm back in New York a lot. You know, my family's in New York. My wife's family's in New York. So we go back there all the time. But um, yeah, we've been here over a decade now and um, I've just kind of kept thinking we're leaving and we keep staying and there's a lot we love here. It's a great, you know, Oxford's a great, um, great literary town. A lot of, a lot of, you know, one of the best independent bookstores in the country is here. And then there's also just uh, square books and there's also just a ton of, ton of great writers and ton of um, great cultural stuff. Yeah. A lot of atmosphere. Yeah. And looking at the map, I mean, if you head, if you were to crow and you flew directly east, you'd end up uh, just about where I uh, spent a big part of my life growing up, which was uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, and Winston Salem. Oh no, yeah. There is something. I like North Carolina. Yeah, there's something about the South that, um, and one day I I think about going back. There's something about the South and the history and the. uh, the atmosphere that I, I really do miss comparing it to uh, color, uh, California rather is um, nobody's from here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where in California are you? San Diego, just outside San of San Diego. Diego. So you, you come for the weather and you leave because of the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of, you know, I've, I've been out to California a few times only. Um, my sister-in-law lives in San Francisco um, I, I was in LA actually for the first time just right before the pandemic started. And I've kind of always daydreamed about being out there, but um, never, never happened or hasn't happened yet. Um, well, at the speed you're going with the uh, proficiency and uh, uh, that you're writing, I could see how it would be very easy to have a second home here. Um, I meant the stage looking for the first home, so to speak. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, um, like I mentioned on a recent show, if you're if you're trying to save a, a down payment and your down payment's about a quarter of a million just to get into a nice little fixer upper, then you know that uh, you yeah. you're in high cotton, as they say. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I just uh, I never owned anything until the last couple of years in Mississippi, and one of the one of the other great advantages about Mississippi is cost of living. Like, I don't think I could afford. I mean, I certainly couldn't have afforded a house in New York, um, and I, you know can't afford one in California, but Mississippi, I can, I can, you know, I can. Yeah. Barely, but I can. Well, shoot the moonlight out may help uh, remedy that situation, William. (laughs) I don't know. I hope so. So I'm reading that Wikipedia calls you an American author of character driven literary crime fiction, which is probably the longest label I have uh, seen for any writer on this show. (laughs) and your own pegasus books calls you a modern master of neo-noir so two things first of all congratulations on really friggin hip cool titles thanks and number two can you tell me what can you help me understand neo-noir oh man um no not really uh I, I can't i mean you know noir is it's just such a tricky thing to talk about um people get into all sorts of debates about what is and isn't noir um 
I think when people use the phrase neo-noir, I almost never use that phrase to, to describe my own stuff. But uh, when people use that phrase, I think it's just really in reference to the fact that anything that's not kind of from the classic period of noir is neo-noir. Um, so stuff really from the 60s and 70s on gets referred to as neo-noir. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I try not to mess around too much or get too caught up in thinking about those kind of labels or um, that those, I don't know, genre things. I mean, I, I love, uh, I love being thought of as a, as a crime writer. Obviously I am. But I think a lot of that stuff just comes down to, like with music, it's like calling something alt country or something. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> right. what does that, what does that mean? You know, I mean, great, great country music is great country music. It's not alt if it's comes out in the nineties or two thousand. I mean, whatever. You know, yeah. I don't know. So no, I can't. I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. But good. Thank you. Yeah. Good attempt. <laughs> Uh, I, I spent uh, many, many, many years in radio, so I, I'm very familiar with that uh, splintering of musical genres. There was, uh, you know, I grew up spinning um, classic rock, and then it became alternative rock, and then it was album rock, and it was soft rock, and, and yeah, it was soft hits, and then it was country and new country <laughs> and old country and alt country and hip country and hot country and country's country you know what i'm saying but, or <laughs> yeah. maybe it isn't yeah i do think that the you know the, the books are character driven crime fiction so that that's accurate and 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 you know i, I obviously i'm happy to be referred to as as neo-noir you know that's that's a good uh i don't fully understand that term like i said but i you know i think um I, I fit into that world, certainly. Yeah. Well, some of your books include, I don't want to flash these up on the screen, Gravesend, which was nominated for all kinds of awards, The Lonely Witness, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, which sounds like a uh, self-help book, but it's actually much other than that. Uh, a City of Margins, and of course, Shoot the Moonlight Out. How much, I'm curious, because how much of your childhood was inside of shoot the moonlight out? And the reason I say that is because you're talking about character driven, which is so, this is such a classically, it's all about the characters. And then the way you captured the ambiance and the atmosphere of Brooklyn uh, in that period is just, which was uh, the mid to late nineties is just spot on. So more specific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a good amount, I think, of of um, kind of my my definitely the world I knew growing up in there. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, the last couple of books I've been going back to the '90s, and the you know this book is set uh, begins in '96, and then the bulk of it's uh, early 2001 or June 2001. So it was yeah, it was you know part of why I wanted to write about that time was because it was a time that I lived most intimately there. So um, there's a lot of me kind of thinking about and returning to the things and places from that time that haunted me and that haunt me still. Um, there's some, there's some 
you know, there's some, always some part of me, I think, in anything I write, but um, there's, there's some of me in a lot of these characters, I think. Um, so uh, not, not one specifically in any way, but I think all of them, especially the younger characters um, in this book, there's, there's a real, something I really connect with. I want to make sure I leave nice long uh, beats in between questions and answers because we are, we got a little bit of technical issue. But I, I wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, that that gritty realism is counterbalanced with such a big heart. Like one of your main characters is, you know, um, you'd almost say a cold blooded killer. He does it more out of uh, it's like uh, just taking the trash out, and yet he has such a sensitive side. So there's a uh, such a such a contradictory yet engaging and warm attraction to so many of these characters it's it's such a uh a dichotomy and combination of love hate like you absorb the pain and and then you go yeah but that makes sense does that make and does that make any sense yeah no it, it does it does make sense and thank you thanks for those good words i yeah i mean um this book kind of it didn't start with uh with the character of jack um it started with the character of bobby but once i um once i started writing jack i think that's that's a lot of what i was drawn to about him that that kind of uh dichotomy or that dissonance between the stuff he was doing or the stuff he kind of stumbled into doing and who he really was and how he walked through the world. Um, I thought, you know, I was really influenced and was thinking a lot about the film Ghost Dog, the Jim Jarmusch movie, which I love. Um, and I, I just wanted to write a character like that. You know, I've never really tried to, um, not in that exact way. I mean, somebody who's really, you know, shaped by his grief and um, is just kind of a melancholy, decent person who also happens to do some rough things dissonance is a good word and yes a uh, uh he's a guy with heart but he does do some rough things but you know the whole story felt oddly like uh for fear of sounding like a cliche kind of like a pair of favorite worn jeans it's it's a it was the balance between the familiarity of uh brooklyn i mean having lived in new york a couple of times i i get a sense of that and then just this great comfortableness with the neighborhoods and the, the way you describe the sounds of the city and the smells of the cities. It's just, you know, it's, it's comforting, I guess is a good word. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm always thinking about kind of the sound and tone of a novel and, and in musical terms, I want, I want the book to feel like an album in that way. Um, and so that that connection makes perfect sense to me because that's you know that's how I feel about so many of my favorite albums and and books and movies you know that's you just kind of can can fall into the world in a way that is familiar and 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 yeah comforting. I it took me just a a beat to get used to the fact that each chapter was told from a different person's perspective but once I did I really fell into that rhythm <clears throat> to go back to your musical term and I enjoyed the uh 
getting to know each one and then without I don't want to spoil it anyway, but as the stories merge, there's such a great overlap. And here's what I enjoyed. You, as a reader, you would see some of it coming and some of it you wouldn't see coming. And then there are those moments of anticipation where you're, you're playing these scenarios in your head as you're reading from one perspective going, I wonder if so-and-so is going to meet so-and-so. And that was just so much fun. Thanks. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's something I just always, as a fan, I've always loved, you know, stories like that. And um, I've kind of fallen into telling my stories that way and, and more expansively over the last couple of books. Uh, you know, I've kind of just keep having more and more points of view. And I, I like, I just like this idea of all these characters, you know, in crisis kind of crashing together. And there's, points where they intersect and points where you think they're going to intersect and they don't and points where their histories intersect or you know their backstories intersect and um it's just kind of you know it's a, a lot of what living i think in in a in a city can can be like you know i mean there's a, a you know there is a you could live on the same block as someone and and never see them um, and then, you know, realize that you are connected to them in some way that you didn't even know. Um, and yeah, I love that. I love, I love chance and coincidence. And, um, so I, I really have fallen into, um, that structure. It's funny. You should mention the word, the, the characters crashing into each other because it reminded me of one of my favorite movies, which is crash by uh, Paul. Uh, I think it was Paul Haggis and, I loved how those characters were constantly intersecting and crashing into one another. Um, and yeah, was, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've seen, I've seen that, I've seen that film, but I, I'm a, I'm more of a David Cronenberg crush um, guy, I guess. But I do, I like that. You know, I, I definitely think that's a. Uh, um, structurally, that's something that I think about filmmakers like Robert Altman and Alan Rudolph, I guess, um, as kind of influences on, on that, that part of um, how I structure these stories. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, a, there's an element there for sure. And, and, and movies like, you know, um, I, not that these weren't specific influences on me, but I know that like uh, 21 great films are often kind of rooted in that same kind of structure. And, and some of them I really uh, do, do like and have, have had um, some impact on. Yeah. Uh, having lived in New York a couple of times, I, I, I lived on the uh, West Side at one time, and one of my very favorite things uh, at the end of the day was just to open a window and sit and just listen to the sounds of the city while I was, you know, having a drink or f finishing dinner or whatever. And I think that's when um, so much of my passion for writing kicked in because y you literally could just listen to the sounds of the city and create worlds just by those sounds and I had that kind of a flat and that was let's see I was there in the early yeah mid 90s so I had that flashback while I was reading this book it was a great visit revisit
Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's the stuff that really um, shaped me, I think, just, you know, walking, walking around, observing, listening. Um, I live in where I live now. It's it's really it's quiet and uh, I can't sleep without noise. <laughs> you know, so I often just kind of I miss that, you know, I miss the sirens and the buses and the just kind of street noise, the train. And um, that's that's definitely like uh, when I'm sitting down to write, kind of one of the first places I go to is sensory details and and you know sound is a, is such a such a big one that brings me back um, to that place. You know, funny side story. When I lived in Manhattan, I uh, to it, because I was doing a morning show, I had to get up at three thirty, so I would get this uh, sound machine to drown out the sounds of the city just so I could sleep. <laughs> But soon yeah. after, I moved to uh, Pennsylvania to take another gig, and I lived out way in the suburbs, so it was super quiet, and I actually had to create a different kind of sound to bring the noise back, to, to your point. And <laughs> you, you get acclimated to it, and, it, and when it's so quiet, you're like, I need some kind of an irritant to my sound wave. <laughs> oh, yeah. Silence. Silence freaks me out way more than noise. I'm I'm curious about something, William. I two of my favorite writers. I um, I had flashes of, and I, I hope this is a compliment because I really love these authors, and, and and some of your work reminded me of it. Two of my favorites are Don Winslow and Elmore Leonard, and I f I felt nuance uh, for some reason, characterizations and dialogue. Is that a compliment to you? Oh, that's a huge compliment. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, Elmore, Elmore Leonard is one of my, is one of my biggest heroes, you know, going back to when I was a kid, um, I discovered his books pretty, pretty early on. I started reading him probably by the time I was 12 or, or 13. And um, so really, I think a lot of my love of dialogue and just a lot of my love of, of um, these sorts of stories in general come back to, to Elmore Leonard and, and Don Winslow. Yeah. I love, I love uh, his books. You know, I've, uh, I've not read everything of his, um, but everything I've read, I've really enjoyed. Um, I was kind of a little, I was a little late to, to Don Winslow. Um, I'd heard great things about him for a while and I probably didn't really start reading him until like savages or, or um, around then. And then, you know, I really liked the force and the, cartel trilogy of course you know so he's he's definitely a writer i i love i mean i i also i interviewed him once and uh i just was like i don't know i'm such a coward when it comes to time you know my novels generally are set over a few days um i have a lot of characters but my novels are set over a few days or or maybe even a couple of days um and this one is actually shoot the moonlight out is over the bulk of the book takes place over a few weeks, which is a long time for me. Um, and I just, I was talking to Don Winslow and I was just like, man, I just don't, I don't know how you do it. I just don't know how you do it, how you keep track of all this. And, and it's, it takes place over a much broader time period. It's just, yeah. So that's a huge compliment. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny because you mentioned uh, the force because the character in the force reminded, I think it was Danny, reminded me of Jack so much. I don't know why, because the force was so much rougher and tougher and darker. 
but there that's what pricked my um, memory bank but uh yeah uh i don't know how he does it i've had a chance to sit down and talk to him on a number of occasions and i i'm i'm i like you am mesmerized by the fact that he can keep especially when you get into the cartel series when there are dozens and dozens of characters and then <laughs> half of those dozens are uh, hispanic so uh, not speaking spanish i have to keep those straight and then you know it's 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 mind-blowing yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a couple there's, things I want to say before we wrap up our time. And, and there's, f first of all, is there's two things I always look for when I leave a story behind. It's, it's how I felt walking away and then what I learned as a writer. And I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to make this whole show about gushing and compliments, but it's, I just so thoroughly enjoyed the book. I can't help myself. Is that okay, William? Can I keep going? <laughs> That's fine, man. Thank you so much. And so the two things that I, so when I felt, uh, how I felt when I walked away was actually, at first I would have said it was nostalgia, but when I walked away, it was a feeling of hope. And even with all the darkness that kind of wove in through so many of the stories, it, it was that profound sense of hope at the end that I so much enjoyed. Thanks. Yeah, you know that's something I've been. Uh, I think it's something I've been work, working on because um, I used to just kind of want to fully embrace the dark, the darkness uh, of you know stories like this and. Um, I read uh, the, Willie Vlaughton, the writer Willie Vlaughton is one of my favorite. Um, he's a novelist and songwriter. Um, he's one of my favorite writers, um, definitely my favorite contemporary novelist. And um, I was reading his book, his new book, The Night Always Comes, while I was working on this book. Um, and he's just, he's the best at that. You know, he's got these sad stories, these broken characters, but there's always, always room for hope and there's always kind of a little light um and you know i wanted i wanted that and i've been kind of on that path in the last few books trying to find a little bit more balance there because i think you know um when i was first starting i wanted to really kind of be more almost nihilistic and um and i don't I've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. I mean, or, or at least I'm trying to find a little bit of a balance. Um, so thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it, it, it was odd because I, I, I hold a notebook every time I read, I have hold a notebook because I always want to make little notes as to what I really enjoyed. Of course it helps with interviewing, but, and, and hope came to me. And then the second point that I was going to make was, so uh, when I leave a story behind is what I learned as a writer. And actually, you make me want to be a better writer. And I thought to myself, what? how can I say that without sounding like a suck up? So I think what I came up with was, and because I'm such also a, an Elmer Leonard fan, is the the sense that you you have this uh, staccato in a sense that that's a it's a compliment. It's not a, 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 a negative. And it's the you write is like a stream of consciousness and i i found myself doing it was like this inner it was like listening into inner dialogue with these characters as they were going and i love that because you because we talk to ourselves in our head is like well that was crazy 
I don't know what he thought. I, you know, it's just everything is, he's an idiot. Look at the way he's looking at me. You know, what is that all about? And it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things about these characters. <laughs> anyway. Thanks. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I love, I love uh, finding, trying to find that, that balance. And, you know, um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of came up with a lot of writers. I was always reading crime fiction. And I always loved crime fiction, but there's a lot of kind of literary fiction I love too, that was, you know, rooted in stream of consciousness and just kind of um, wandering off in a character's, you know, mind. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of can't shake that influence uh, in a lot of ways. And I love, uh, I love doing that, you know, kind of falling into a character's memories, especially, or, or having a character tell a story, um, kind of what a story within the story. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. that. That really means a lot to me. Sure. And I, I cannot finish this interview without saying this. And I, I wanted to read it and I would read it except for the fact that it's, it's too long of a, a, a section, but it's folks. I just want to tell you this from page 266 to 268 is one of the funniest scenes I may have ever read. I was laughing so hard. I was choking and crying simultaneously. And I'm not being melodramatic. I was laughing out loud. This one character that uh, joins the story late. It is so freaking hilarious. I I'm going to give you five words worth the price of admission. I mean, if you, if you don't do anything else, you, you're going to want to buy the book to read that one. The whole book is, I'm going to go ahead and I'll say it. It's, it's now one of my favorite books. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. But God bless America. That one scene, William, you had me. Oh, please tell me this. I'm going to let you set it up because you know what I'm talking about and then explain it to it without giving it away. But it is, it is butt-gusting hilarious. <laughs> I'm guessing, I don't have the book in front of me I'm, and I don't know the page numbers off the top of my head, but I'm guessing it's the, the scene with Mairead talking about her her family in Ireland. Um, yeah, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, it's one, just one of the things that I love about writing. And, you know, I, I, I didn't ever really even plan on that character. Um, you know, not, not early on anyway, that character just kind of, she, she showed up, um, she showed up in the book and uh, she, she just started talking and I, I loved her and I didn't want to, I didn't want her to stop talking and she was a great storyteller. And I, you know, I'm, my last name is Boyle, but I'm not Irish, I'm uh, Scottish on my dad's side and I grew up with the Italian side of my family in Brooklyn. I didn't grow up with my dad's family at all. But I married into a big Irish family, and I just kind of, kind of took a lot of <laughs> took a lot of that, you know, the kind of great storytelling that that exists in that family, the the kind of wild, funny, dark sense of humor, and I put it into that character. And so, yeah, I mean, she just uh, I don't I don't really know how to summarize it, but she she tells a story something that happened back home in Ireland. It's kind of, I don't know, it, it brought this, this other element to the book 
that I, again, hadn't really expected and, and really kind of a new way in that last section. Yeah. We're having, We're having a really, really bad con- uh, connection here and I'm, uh, it, it's chopping up so bad and, and, and it, it breaks my heart because I, it, this, it was, this would be one of those things that I would I hardly ever ask any author to do it. I'm not going to ask you now, but if, if we had a better connection, I would, I would send you a check in the mail just to have you read this, uh, these two and a half pages. Cause I, I haven't, I don't remember William, the last time I laughed that hard. Thanks man. And there's no delay. I don't know why there's such a bad delay on, on the going out. I'm sorry about that. Eh, no worries. Uh, but it, it is, it's pretty horrific on this end. So I'm going to, I'm going to spend a couple hours have to repair that. So I'm just going to, uh, wrap it up by saying, uh, you have a, a new fan and I enjoyed this book so deeply that I now have to go back and pick up some of your other books. If it, if it has any kind of the same feel, and I have to believe that it does, I'm going to have so much fun. The books again, let's see, The Lonely Witness, Gravesend, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, and City of Margins. And I'm so excited to say that uh, Shoot the Moonlight comes out tomorrow. So folks, do yourself a favor, wherever you buy your books, independent or otherwise, pick up a copy of this book. Are you still there? Well, you I I just heard you. I just heard a noise. Can you not hear me? Yeah, I can hear you right now. All right, thanks. I I lost you again. Because this connection is so bad, I'm going. I'm going to to ring off by saying. Can you hear me now? Yes. There you are. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on with this thing. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you and see you now. Weird. I don't know what that was all about. Oh God. It was, it was horrible. I couldn't, I'm like, oh my, I'm over here sweating bullets. I'm like, oh my God, I need air conditioning under my pits. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was it the whole time that last answer? Uh, I, can re- yeah. I can redo that if you want me to. Uh, let's, um, I can stop the video. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not seeing you, but that's okay. I'll take the uh, consistent audio. If you like crime fiction and you love character-driven stories, you'll probably rip through this about as quickly as I did. Well, I'll tell you what, let's do this so that I can, uh, I'm, I'm able to wire the phone into my board, so I'll just record a uh, sign-off. That way I can at least make a closed loop on it. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. I just I, My Wi-Fi, I think, just went out, which uh, is not usually an issue I have, but it's happened a couple of times in the last two or three days, so... I think there must be some larger issue going on. I just really appreciate your time and I wish you profound success on this book. And as I was saying uh, earlier, folks, I really think you should pick up a copy of Shoot the Moonlight Out by William Boyle. And uh, again, thank you for the gift of your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the good words about the book and everything. And I'm sorry again about the... uh, shoddiness shoddiness of my my connection Uh, i hope it doesn't uh mess things up too bad i'll make it work it's going to work great on the podcast side and uh fairly well on the um uh, on the uh youtube side but we'll make it happen i thank you again for your time yeah thanks david take care you too buddy bye and there you have it 
As you saw and heard, the tech issues were a little frustrating, which was a shame because I was so looking forward to spending quality time with Bill. And I did spend some great time with it. We, we learned a lot, and we heard a lot about his book, Shoot the Moonlight Out. But you know, sometimes you just have to roll with it. And luckily, Bill has promised me he's going to return to the Thriller Zone again with much better Wi-Fi. Now, let's talk about this Friday show, part of our two guests per week in the month of November. This Friday, William, you can call me Kent Kruger, will appear to talk about his latest book, Lightning Strike. Yet another thriller I think you're going to like. I hope you'll listen. I'm David Temple, and I'll see you next time in the Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.